Chapter Twenty Two of the Conquest of Canaan by Booth Tarkington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two. Mr. Sheehan speaks. Joe helped to carry what was mortal of Eskew from Ariel's house to its final abiding place. With him in that task were Buckaloo, Bradbury, the Colonel, and the grandsons of the two latter and mrs louden drew in her skirts grimly as her stepson passed her in the mournful procession through the hall her eyes were red with weeping not for eskew but not so red as those of mamie pike who stood beside her on the way to the cemetery joe and ariel were together in a carriage with buckaloo and the minister who had read the service a dark pleasant-eyed young man and the squire after being almost overcome during the ceremony experienced a natural reaction talking cheerfully throughout the long drive he recounted many anecdotes of eskew chuckling over most of them though filled with wonder by a coincidence which he and flitcroft had discovered the colonel had recently been made the custodian of his old friend's will and it had been opened the day before the funeral eskew had left everything he possessed with the regret that it was so little to joe but the queer thing about it said the squire addressing himself to ariel was the date of it the seventeenth of june the colonel and i got to talking it over out on his porch last night trying to recollect what was going on about then and we figured it out that it was the monday after you come back the very day he got so upset when he saw you going up to Loudon's law office with your roses. Joe looked quickly at Ariel. She did not meet his glance, but, turning instead to Ladue, the clergyman, began, with a barely perceptible blush, to talk of something he had said in a sermon two weeks ago. The two fell into a thoughtful and amiable discussion, during which there stole into Joe's heart a strange and unreasonable pain the young minister had lived in canaan only a few months and joe had never seen him until that morning but he liked the short honest talk he had made liked his cadenceless voice and keen dark face and recalling what he had heard martin pike vociferating in his brougham one sunday perceived that Ladham was the fellow who had got to go because his sermons did not please the judge yet ariel remembered for more than a fortnight a passage from one of these sermons and as joe looked at the manly and intelligent face opposite him it did not seem strange that she should he resolutely turned his eyes to the open window and saw that they had entered the cemetery were near the green knoll where eskew was to lie beside a brother who had died long ago he let the minister help ariel out going quickly forward himself with buckaloo and then after the little while that the restoration of dust to dust mercifully needs he returned to the carriage only to get his hat ariel and ladue and the squire were already seated and waiting aren't you going to ride home with us she asked surprised no he explained not looking at her i have to talk to norbert flitcroft i'm going back with him good-bye his excuse was the mere truth his conversation with norbert in the carriage which they managed to secure to themselves continuing earnestly until joe spoke to the driver and alighted at a corner 
near Mr. Farbach's Italian possessions. "'Don't forget,' he said, as he closed the carriage door. "'I've got to have both ends of the string in my hands. Forget!' Norbert looked at the cupola of the Pike Mansion, rising above the maples down the street. "'It isn't likely I'll forget.' When Joe entered the Lewis Quince room, which some decorator drunk with power had mingled into the brewer's villa, he found the owner and Mr. Sheehan, with five other men, engaged in a meritorious attempt to tone down the apartment with smoke. Two of the five others were prosperous owners of saloons. Two were known to the public, whose notion of what it meant when it used the term was something of the vaguest, as politicians. The fifth was Mr. Farbach's closest friend, one who, Joe had heard, was to be the next chairman of the city committee of the party. They were seated about a table, enveloped in blue clouds and hushed to a grave and pertinent silence which clarified immediately their circumstance that whatever debate had preceded his arrival, it was now settled. Their greeting of him, however, though exceedingly quiet, indicated a certain expectancy as he accepted the chair which had been left for him at the head of the table he looked thinner and paler than usual which is saying a great deal but presently finding that the fateful hush which his entrance had broken was immediately resumed a twinkle came into his eye one of his eyebrows went up and a corner of his mouth went down well gentlemen he said the smokers continued to smoke and to do nothing else the exception being Mr. Sheehan, who, though he spoke not, exhibited tokens of agitation and excitement which he curbed with difficulty, shifting about in his chair, gnawing his cigar, crossing and uncrossing his knees, rubbing and slapping his hands together, clearing his throat with violence, his eyes fixed all the while, as were those of his companions, upon Mr. Farbach so that joe was given to perceive that it had been agreed that the brewer should be the spokesman mr farbach was deliberate that was all which added to the effect of what he finally did say joe he remarked placidly you are the next mayor of canaan why do you say that asked the young man sharply because us here he answered interlocking the tips of his fingers over his waistcoat that being as near folding his hands as lay within his power because us here shall try to fix it so and so hath decided joe took a deep breath why do you want me dot replied the brewer is something i shall tell you he paused to contemplate his cigar we want you because you are the best man for the position louis you mustn't make a mistake at the beginning joe said hurriedly i may not be the kind of man you're looking for if I went in, he hesitated, stammering. It seems an ungrateful thing to say, but, but there wouldn't be any slackness. I couldn't be bound to anybody. Hold up your horses, Mr. Farbach, once in his life, was so ready to reply that he was able to interrupt. Who have you heard speak of bounding? Have I speak of favors? Did I say that should be slackness in the city government? Listen to me, Joe. He renewed his contemplation of his cigar, then proceeded. I have been thinking it over now a couple of years. I have made up my mind. If some peoples are government to keep the laws and others are not, that's a greater one of the orders. 
This is what is ruining the country, and the people's is commencement to take notice. Everywhere's in other towns is this housekeeping. They are reforming and indicting. And pretty soon the movement comes here. Sure, if we intend to hold a party in power, we shall be a little ahead of the movement, so when it should be here, we have a good administration to fall back on. Now there is another brewery open on trying to compete with me here in Canaan. If that brewery owner is mayor, all the saloons buying me beer must shut up at eleven o'clock on Sundays, but the others keep open. If I own the mayor, I make the same against the other brewery. Now I'm pretty sick of the ways of business when fighting all times. Also, Mr. Farbach added with magnificent calmness, my trade is largely all outside of Caden. One is better that here the laws shall be enforced the same for all. Listen, Joe, all of us here believes the same way. You are square. The whole saloon element knows that. One knows that all be treated the same. Mid you it would be fairness for each one. Foolish peoples have said you are a law tricker, but we know that you have only made the laws protect as well as punish. When at such times as they have been broken, you have made them as merciful as you could. You're no tricker. We're willing to help you make it clean town. Otherwise, the fighting will go on until the movement strikes here when all the cranks wake up and we get a full reformer for mayor when the town goes to the dogs. If I try to put in a man that I own, the order brewery is going to fight like hell. But if I work for you, it will not fight so hard. But the other people, Joe objected, those outside of what is called the saloon element, do you understand how many of them will be against me? It is the saloon element, Mr. Farbach returned peacefully, that does the fighting. And you have considered my standing with that part of Canaan which considers itself the most respectable section? He rose to his feet, standing straight and quiet, facing the table upon which it chanced there lay a copy of the tocsin. One yet, observed Mr. Farbach, with mildness. We've got some pretty respectable people right here. Except me, broke in Mr. Sheehan grimly. You have? Have you thought of this? Joe leaned forward and touched the paper upon the table. We have, replied Mr. Farbach. All of us, you shall beat it. There was a strong course of confirmation from the others, and Joe's eyes flashed. Have you considered, he continued rapidly, while a warm color began to conquer his pallor, have you considered the powerful influence which will be against me, and more against me now, I should tell you, than ever before? That influence, I mean, which is striving so hard to discredit me that Lynch law has been hinted for poor fear if I should clear him. Have you thought of that? Have you thought? Have we thought of Martin Pike? exclaimed Mr. Sheehan, springing to his feet, face aflame and beard bristling. Aye, we thought of Martin Pike, and our thinking of him is where he begins to get what's coming to him. What do you stand there picking straws for? 
"'What's the matter with you?' he demanded angrily, his violence tenfold increased by the long repression he had put upon himself during the brewer's deliberate utterances. "'If Louis Farbach and his crowd say they're for you, I guess you've got a chance, haven't you?' "'Wait,' said Joe. "'I think you underestimate Pike's influence.' "'Underestimate the devil!' shouted Mr. Sheehan, uncontrollably excited. "'You talk about influence!' he's been the worst influence this town's ever had and his tracks covered up in the dark wherever he set his ugly foot down these men know it and you know it some but not the worst of it because none of ye live as deep down in it as i do you want to make a clean town of it you want to make a little heaven of the beach and in the eyes of judge pike joe cut him off and all who take their opinions from him i represent beaver beach Mike Sheehan gave a wild shout. Hurroo! It's come! I knowed it would. The day I couldn't hold my tongue, though I passed my word I would when the coward showed the deed he didn't dare to get recorded. Wall! He shouted again with bitter laughter. You do. In the eyes of them as follow Martin Pike, you stand for the beach and all its wickedness, do you? Hurroo! It's come! You're an offense in the eyes of Martin Pike and all his kind because you stand for the beach, are you? You know it, Joe answered sharply. If they could wipe the beach off the map and me with it, Martin Pike would, shouted Mr. Sheehan while the others open-mouthed stared at him. Martin Pike would? I don't need to tell you that, said Joe. Mr. Sheehan's big fist rose high over the table and descended, crashing upon it. It's a damn lie! he roared martin pike owns beaver beach end of chapter twenty two